Welcome to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. As always, I'm sitting here with Arthur Black. Hello, everyone. And today we have two guests, because uh, we have got a deep topic for the day. Uh, we have Kate Franzman, who is a beekeeper, marketing, organic food grower. She's kind of a little bit of uh, a Jill of all trades, but you, you've been very much at the forefront of, uh, of the kind of, I guess, what, beekeeping world here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also have Brett Kennedy, who uh, makes some amazing products with, with uh, what the honeybees make. Absolutely. Great to be here. Yeah. So we got two, uh, is it apiculturists? Is that correct? Yeah. Apiculturalist? I didn't know what that was today. So uh, that's someone who you keeps, have notes. keeps bees, motherfucker. Like that's second, right. Second episode <laughs> ever. So yeah. like, you know, we we always run a little bit long, um, and we're going to do a really good job to keep on top of this because there's so much reach and the discussions we could have today. And I guess we just thought that we would get together with Kate and we'd get together with Brett, and Brett could learn something from Kate about beekeeping, although he used to keep bees. Uh, and then you could learn something about mead. I have Kate. a lot to learn in that department. <laughs> and then we could both learn some shit together because... That's what we're all about doing yeah. is learning. I got a trivial amount of knowledge about mead, um, although I found some really awesome stuff. Lots of Vikings. I was going to say, here we go. There, with the Vikings. Some, like, you've got the right my people. Helmet. Yeah, oh, I forgot my North. helmet. I was going to bring my fucking helmet. I swear to God, I've got a Viking helmet. <laughs> oh, I dude, was, if you would have brought that, that would have been amazing. That would have been exactly the, the image we would have used it, for this, this and episode. An axe and a sword. I, it, and I, it just... My morning fell apart. What can I say? <laughs> my morning <laughs> fell apart. I forgot my helmet. I didn't have my battle axe. How am I going to get through the day? You should keep that shit in the car <laughs> all the time. Fucking Wednesday. Right, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Don't um, you know? Put it in your That satchel. might not be a good idea for me to keep all that in the car because usually no. open containers uh, in my car. Open containers and battle axe. Right. Excuse me, sir. Like, we have concerns about this bottle of Mezcal, but uh, could you explain the, um, the arsenal you've got? <laughs> right. I'm like, fucking zombies, man. What else? Mm-hmm. Not role-playing here. So, um, anyways, we figured we'd start off with, with Kate, just learn a little bit about bees and what they do and their importance to um, the world. And then we're going to drink some, some mead and talk about mead with Brett and just kind of go from there. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of drinking, you know, uh, we usually start off every episode and ask what everybody drank last night. Did, did you, in fact, have anything to drink last night, Kate? I did. I had some rosé that I picked up from Whole Foods. Nice. <laughs> God bless. Real men drink pink. That's dangerous for me, man. Rosé, summertime, and cornhole. Watch out. I actually actually had some scotch. Did you? Legoblin scotch. Nice. If it's not scotch, it's crap. Arthur? Um, I didn't have anything last night, but yesterday during uh, class, I drank an assortment of things. Um, Oh, all right. I'll switch back. I did have a nice (laughs) bottle of um, Cremant de Savoie. Um, sort of an obscure sparkling wine. Whenever you have sparkling wine that isn't coming from Champagne proper in France, it falls under the title of Cremant. And this particular one was based on the Jacques Hare grape variety. And it was delicious. It was, it was tasty. Nice. Uh, I, I was actually going to say the same thing. Like, oh, I don't think I really had anything to drink last night. And then uh, you mentioned that Correction. you had. Yeah, I'm going to heavily correct it. Uh, I tasted through eight different wines uh, from Walla Walla. Um, as somebody was coming through the city and tasting oh, us. Oh, was that uh, yeah, the, the winemaker for yeah, Dusted Valley, Valley was in? Those That's are right, some so. chunky wines. Yeah, man. man. Uh, and then last night, um, per usual, I wrapped my evening up with a tea punch. Um, of course. With um, rum clement, cambleu. So, yeah, that's kind of standard issue. I usually wrap each night up with either a tea punch or a, a Mai Tai. All right, so uh, before we jump right in with why did you guys start getting into to bees or mead, um, we were talking on a couple of topics before, um, before we got started here, and it came out that Kate really has an issue with the misrepresentation <laughs> of bees in modern cinema. It's, it's very true. That sounds so intellectual. Bees in modern, modern I, cinema. It's a great term paper. I might go back to a topic just so I can write about that topic. Yeah, well, I mean... Let's start with B movie because every time I am around kids, they want to come up oh, and then, tell me yeah, about the, the B movie okay. with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, Jerry Seinfeld is a male and he plays the main character, a worker bee. But in the real world, 
worker bees are females and they do all the chores within the hive and the male bees play a very small role. They have one job. Chauvinistic, suppressing male bee bastards. Smash the patriarchy. So that's my main problem with that. I mean, it's a very problematic movie. There's a lot wrong with right, that right, movie. Right. I didn't do it. I was like, I'm not movie. using that. I'm not going to like A Bug's Life for my entomology. You know? Right. Like, right. I don't remember Wait getting a minute. sucked into that one. But uh, My Girl is one that people talk about all the time. The end of My Girl, where Macaulay Culkin supposedly gets stung to death by bees. But actually, if you go back and watch the movie, it's a hornet's nest, mm. not uh-huh. a honeybee hive. So again, bees are getting a bad reputation. Mm. All right, and now we're going to segue into conspiracy theory. (laughs) There is an overall mass plan to shit on the honeybee. I think so. In our culture. All right, all right. This is an Illuminati conspiracy. I mean, get rid. Bees are the Illuminati. But well, that leads straight back to Kate because I mean, I I did read a a statistic recently that said like if we were to eradicate every honeybee off the planet. Mm we would lose a minimum of one-third of our crops. That's right. One in every three bites of food we eat is made possible by pollinators because the certain crops require pollination to bear fruit. So a fruit could be, um, you know, we think of apples and oranges and blueberries, but it's also tomatoes and squash and avocado and even coffee and chocolate. Need, the plants need to be pollinated, so those right. are things we would lose out on. So all the haters out there need to go mm-hmm. hug mm-hmm. some beehives. Go hug like a bee right now. Yeah, that's my next campaign. Hug a bee. Hug a bee. Don't <laughs> kill them. Do not kill them. <laughs> Gently. See how that goes. <laughs> so you're a you're <laughs> beekeeper. Yes. Um, and this is a tradition that goes back, like oh yes, way ancient back. Egyptians yeah. kept bees. You can find. Uh, Honey in the tombs in ancient Egyptian yeah, King tombs. Yeah, was buried with some honey, right? And conceivably, it never goes bad, so you could still eat that honey if honey you wanted to. Bad. Honey never goes bad. I know it's, I've got some that's like way old. It's that's got still like natural good, preservative. Mm-hmm. It's antibacterial and antifungal, so it never spoils. And the reason is it, during the process. Uh, by which the bees are making honey, they evaporate a lot of the water out of it. They mix it with enzymes in their body, and then they evaporate a lot of the water from it with their wings. And then um, that is what makes it, when it touches a microorganism, like a fungus or a bacteria, it desiccates it, pulls all the water out of it, and it dies. So that's why it's able to preserve itself. I need to work this into a training somewhere, because I've got, like, stits on... um other desiccated wines, you know, the Amarones of the world and right, Dijon yeah. and things like that, Strovine in Austria. I, I'm going to have to rock out some honey mead and, and break out the word desiccated. It's just a great word. It is a great a word. Great desiccation. <laughs> so when I first met you, Kate, um, you were working for a marketing firm. Uh-huh. Uh, but you totally bailed on that. Like, I mean, it was like you sent See an email ya. out. There was I like, did. yeah, I'm no longer going to be part of this world. I'm a beekeeper. Marketing. Yeah. It's like that scene in John, or being John Malkovich. It's like, <laughs> boom, you're a puppet, puppeteer. Like, um, so, yeah, you're like, no, I'm no longer doing marketing. I'm a beekeeper now. Maybe naively took a big leap career-wise about five years ago and left, you know, a very steady job with benefits and decided to, uh, I enrolled in an apprenticeship program with a nonprofit that does urban farming. And then I started Be Public and Be Public, um, it's it's a project uh, that I started and it sort of had a different concept when I started it, which was just to get people to keep bees in their backyard. I was really interested in it. I didn't have a place to do it. So I thought uh, I could get other people to do it. And that's sort of how I keep bees is in other people's backyards. Okay, interesting. I like it. Yeah. And then I started realizing that I didn't want to drive around everywhere and um, that actually what would be more strategic for me would be to put beehives in public spaces where thousands of people might be exposed to them instead of hidden away in someone's backyard as you would traditionally do with a beehive. So um, I made some friends that had urban farms and I started placing the beehives on urban farms. And then uh, now I have along the Monon Trail across from Public Greens, there's a beehive there. And you can imagine how many people are riding their bikes and walking by and walking their dogs and they see a beehive where a lot of people don't normally get to see a beehive or get to see bees doing their thing so they get to experience that. Right. I mean, I, I just, I don't know that I had until you mm-hmm. did that precise thing, but 
how did you specifically get interested? I mean, I understand just making that career change, screw it, but like yeah. bees in particular, rather than going into like, was it urban farming that led mm-hmm. you through to that and your exposure yeah. through that? It was definitely an interest in all of the things that are connected to urban farming and sustainable food systems and just kind of getting in touch with nature. I definitely grew up as a kid that was allowed to just roam around out in the woods with no shoes on. Yeah. And so all the days. <laughs> yeah. You know, so okay. uh, and my my mother and my grandmother always had a huge garden and it was just part of it was I mean it's kind of like we I think we all do this we sort of return to our childhood in some ways when we become an adult so it was a little bit of that and I or just, just never grow up right or just <laughs> you know never leave but um, it was definitely once I started learning about bees because I was interested in keeping a hive and then I started learning and Brett you probably had this experience too where you just are like holy shit just this totally is what goes on inside in, a yeah, hive right um, their society is incredibly complex. They do crazy things that you, when I talk to people about it, it sounds like I'm making it up. It sounds like it's the Hunger Games or a science fiction novel, but this is what's going on inside a beehive that we don't know about. And then the connection to our food, where we are relying on these little insects that have, a, like we were talking about, a bad reputation. They are misrepresented. They're not respected the way they should be. And they're, we're actually relying on them for our food, both, you know, foods that we like, but also if you look at it from a financial, like an economic standpoint, we really need to get our shit together and start supporting them a, a little bit better, both honeybees and other pollinators. So the, all of that together is kind of what attracted me to it. So like when you were growing up, there wasn't one like particular time where you were outdoors playing barefoot and there was some intimate encounter with a bee. Yeah, it was like a radioactive and, bee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we both looked at each it other. me. And it saw like a billion of you. I don't know how their eyes work, but that's what I imagine. <laughs> they just look and see Kate, but it's like yeah. a kaleidoscope of Kate. Right. And you just saw this little bee. Well, we thought this would be a really timely time to, to talk about this. Right. Because, a timely time. Uh, a timely, timely time. time. I don't know. Fuck off. Come on. <laughs> um, there's how we get the E on the on iTunes. There we go. That was the, we're, what, 12 minutes in of our drop note um, No, I was going through my Instagram feed um, a couple of days ago, and I am seeing, apparently I'm friends with a lot of beekeepers, mm. uh, and I was seeing a lot of people taking pictures of, of swarms yeah. and, like, rescuing swarms that were on other people's property yeah. etc and i i'm really really uneducated about like pollinators in general but definitely you know honeybees and and the swarming process and all that mm-hmm. that's a seasonal thing i found it out. is yeah it's called a what when you see a big ball of bees hanging out in your backyard it's called a reproductive swarm so it's if you think of, you know, like a... S- A.K.A. orgy. Not quite. But if you think of like a cell dividing in half. Um, a colony of bees is often referred to as a super organism, and it will split in half, similar to a cell splitting in half. So oh, they really? actually take, half of them leave, they take the queen with them. The queen is the mother of all the bees in, in the hive, typically. And so they, they leave to go find a new home, the other half stay behind and they raise a new queen. So now there are two colonies where there was one colony before. So it's reprodu- it's their way of reproducing in the spring. So a healthy hive will do this every spring. And so you can imagine that they'll just keep splitting in half um, to create two. Aren't there some bees that are more um, social and others that are more asocial? Yeah, so we have, in the United States, there are t- around 2,000 species of bees. And that's just bees. That's not wasps and yellow jackets and hornets and other insects that are similar and have stingers. But um, there are some bees that are social and some that are solitary. So honeybees are obviously social. They live in a colony. Uh, their societies complex. Um, other types of bees that I don't know as much about that are solitary, like bumblebees, for example, they um, kind of do their own thing. They might have a few attendants to attend to the queen. Uh, they make just enough honey for themselves and not a surplus the way honeybees do. So they have different behaviors and they operate completely differently. Like honeybees will bury themselves below the earth 
to hibernate, to actually hibernate over the winter. They're like bears. The, yeah, they're kind of like little fuzzy bears. And then... <laughs> With wings. Very, very small fuzzy bears. <laughs> and stingers. Yeah, that fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honeybees remain active during the winter. They store a bunch of honey so they can munch on it all winter long. They raise their body temperatures and keep the colony warm. They do some, basically the opposite thing. Is that... The primary bee people are using when they're mm-hmm. beekeepers, like. And the reason that honeybee commercial commercial beekeepers use honeybees is because we figured out that we can manage them and we can manipulate them and we can uh, keep them in one place in okay. a hive. Whereas there's right. there are other bees that are better pollinators. Orchard bees, for example, in the United States Say are orchard bee. Orchard bees, um, blue orchard bees, or you can call them Bob. You want? I like it. Yeah. Wow. So bobs are actually better pollinators, but they are not. You can't control them mm. the way that we do with honeybees. So Bob's an asshole. Mm-hmm. So you um, were talking about like all these complex society and this Hunger Games esque yeah. uh, interior. I'm I'm curious. I have no idea. I've never seen the inside of a hive. Yeah. I, ever. Not once. Uh, what, what well, goes we'll on? change that. You need yeah. to come up, come up and look at uh, at Eskenazi Hospital. That's probably the closest one to here. You know what? Maybe I'll there. link up with you uh, yeah. in the next week or so and, and try to get some photos up online yes. um, on our on cool. our Instagram feed yep. so people can actually see what's going on. That would um, be but really well, what's cool. What's happening inside there? So typically in a hive, you have anywhere from ten thousand to thirty thousand, forty thousand bees. Um, you have and that probably adjusts according to species, right? Uh, well, for honeybees, it's usually they kind of that's just kind of where their range is. They get big enough, and then that's when they do the split in the spring. So it might go back down. The numbers might go back down. The numbers go back down in the winter, also. So it just depends on the season. When the food rations go down, they kick people out. They no. do. They do. Mm-hmm. They kick out the drones or the male bees when the fall rolls around. It's every uh- fall. Brett, when you were doing the beekeeping thing, were you working with honeybees as well? Yes, yep, absolutely. Did you have your own space, or were you bogarding on urban gardens? Like uh, actually, uh, <laughs> good question. We had, had hives on my family's farm up uh, in Madison County. So. All right, all right. No, I love that idea, but I, I'm curious, since they're public, is there... Did you have to run anything by the city, or is there any kind of like liability no, or anything like it, that? No, Indianapolis has very few regulations on on uh, honeybee hives, so you have One to. One of the few things that's got little regulations. <laughs> right. Yeah. Luckily, some. Surprising. I know. I was kind of surprised too. Um, as long as they're Christian bees, Indiana's I think, okay. Right. <laughs> they're blessed. <laughs> we raised Jesus-fearing <laughs> bees in this town. You can't have more than I think it's like. 18 hives or something like that um it's it's a pretty reasonable number and then if you have a hive in a public space for example like the one at the monon trail you have to have it a certain amount of distance distance away from a walking path and then if it's close to a walking path it can't the entrance can't face the walking path directly because the bees will come right out uh, into like a sprinkler you're probably not allowed to smoke within eight feet of them <laughs> i would hope so um <laughs> yeah don't blow the smoke directly into yeah. the hive and if you do have an entrance facing a walking path or a sidewalk you have to put a fence of a certain height or a like a wall or a blockade in front of it so that they take that path up and over the fence instead of straight hmm. into someone's right. walking path. So, so we open this thing up. What, what are we going to see? So you're going to see uh, a lot of bees milling around. The The queen is in there. Um, things that you won't see, like things that are kind of unbelievable that I was referencing. So when, um, when that split happens, when the hive splits in two and the, the half that remain have to raise a new queen, this happens a lot you know, maybe once a year inside of a hive. So when the hive senses there's no queen, um, and sometimes she just gets old and stops laying enough eggs, and they they actually collectively decide to, to squash her, and they don't sting because when honeybees sting, they die. They're stingers. You probably had this happen before if you've been stung. Sure, they yeah. stay behind in your skin. They separate. So when a female worker bee stings you or stinger stays behind it and it pulls out some internal organs and she dies shortly after. So honeybees know this and they try not to sting if they can help it. So if they decide that they need to do away with their current queen to raise a new queen, they'll crush her instead of stinging. Hmm. And so, I wow. use that information. That's a crappy job. I know. <laughs> crush <laughs> my experience when bees sting me, they fly away yeah. drunk. 
actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bouncing off of shit. Hey, it's better than being on the inside and being the queen. Like, hey, we right. need it. We need a couple thousand eggs a day. And when you're not producing that, we're going to crush yeah, we're you to death. Smush you. So, um, if they do that and raise a new queen, uh, they take the old queen's eggs and maybe they'll choose five or six, depending on the size of the hive. And they feed uh, those eggs uh, a lot of nutrients that, and scientists for a long time thought it was this substance called royal jelly that did the trick to turn mm-hmm. them from regular worker bees into potential queen bees. But now they're coming out and saying that it's, it's just like a mix and a concentration of certain nutrients. So, so they're making They treat them differently, right. And only the worker, the worker bees can secrete the right substances to create a queen bee, but they themselves cannot become a queen bee once they're hatched. So these potential queens will yeah. hatch all at once. Um, like I said, maybe five or six. And if, let's say, one hatches before the other, she will actually come out and uh, sting through the other queen cells before they even have a chance to hatch Hell yeah. or if they come out together all together they will battle each other to the death until there's only one this left. is another viking connection yeah. right I, wanna, I wanna see that two queens enter one queen <laughs> <laughs> there can only be one right that's awesome so that that's something that happens that i I love explaining that to, I go to a lot of classrooms, like third and fourth (laughs) graders love, well, they love that story. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Actually, I think that, that story is how a lot of kids come to respect the bees more than just like, they account for a third of our food. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) They will fight each other to death. In my line of work, I spend a lot of time in third and fourth grader classrooms, too. (laughs) (laughs) Teaching them about Bordeaux, Burgundy. Let me tell you why scotch is awesome. (laughs) Right. Okay. Here's where old world, new world. Security. (laughs) (laughs) So much. Um, He's kidding. He's not allowed within 500 feet of a school. (laughs) (laughs) Piss outside one too many times. (laughs) Just done, son. Not good. So um, I want to move over to Brett for a little bit and start a conversation about mead. But then after we taste through this first mead, which is absolutely delightful. That's delicious. Yeah, thank you for pouring that while Kate was talking. That was awesome. Some more bee specifics with Kate. So, uh, let's see. What's going on here? Tell us your story, Brett. Where are you at? What are you making? And how'd you get into uh, alcohol after being with bees? Yeah, so um, I guess kind of the the fun evolution of being a beekeeper is you have lots of extra honey. So, what the heck do you do with all this honey? Make something alcoholic. Absolutely. So, um, there are sugars in honey and... Yeasts like sugars, so... What kind of sugars is it? Glucose, fructose, sucrose? All sorts of different sugars. All right, um, a bunch of sugars. Yeah, all right. yeah. All of them that yeast like. So, uh, I'm at New Day Craft. We make mead and hard cider. Uh, we've been at it for uh, 12 years. Gosh, it's now. already been so 12, 12 years. 12 years. So, we started uh, in the small town of Elwood, Indiana. Uh you say in Ode? Elwood. Oh, I was going to say, that's really close to Odin. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that one. We, um, don't, we don't get that connection. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it because when I first met you, it was uh, probably about six, seven. Well, no, it was probably closer yeah. to nine years ago. Probably but, right but after you we were, moved to Fountain Square. No, before, because you were, that. I didn't realize that you were actually driving from, I, I have no fucking clue where Elwood is. <laughs> I, anything outside of the city, I don't know. It's, like, yeah, you don't want to know where it's at, actually. <laughs> but, so. <laughs> but it's a good drive, though, right? I mean, you were yeah, checking down. it's about an hour away, yeah. Because when you first, because um, you were looking for a space, and you mm-hmm. ended up in our neighborhood, Fountain Square, uh, where we are currently in the neighborhood, at, sitting in our Table 9 studios. And, uh, but... So you've been putting out, well, you started mostly with mead, right? I mean, you weren't even doing the hard ciders at that time. Yeah, we started out originally with, uh, with mead exclusively. And I think in 07, 08, we started making some hard cider too. Um, right now it's about split 50-50 hard cider and mead production. So, so what are we drinking right here? Uh, right now you have a gin barrel aged Shelby Blue Ribbon, which is a strawberry rhubarb mead that we aged in New Holland distilling Knickerbocker gin barrels. Um, so I think it's about uh, 11.5% alcohol. Um, 
So you're you're utilizing recycled gin barrels for exactly. aging of it. Yeah, exactly. And it, is that a common thing? Are people aging a lot of, of mead? Um, uh, in it's oak? it's beginning to be more more common. Uh, I I don't do anything on um, new oak at this point in time or neutral oak. It's all typically a spirit has been in it beforehand. Um, Usually bourbon, but uh, gin is a fun one specifically for this this fruitier variety. A little bit of flavoring, but more so you're looking for some oxidative handling. Yeah, absolutely. How long are you aging it in barrel? Uh, I can't recall on this one. Probably six months on that one. All right, because I mean the 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 beverage has a lot of lot of reach. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with mead. Um, Like I said, Ed and I don't. This is one of the world's oldest alcoholic beverages are you to be the oldest yeah i mean i went through this with the bigger guys we got to go through with the mead dude (laughs) everybody claims to have the oldest spirit and but i mean it's well like kate was saying you know people have been keeping honeybees Mm -hmm. forever you know essentially so and i would presume that with the rainfall you would pretty quickly get a natural fermentation just right off the bat because of the bees constantly being in contact with the honey. Well, but I think then she did say it was in a septic. I think, you know, it can be, um, you know, assumed that people gathered the honey for its sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life is much better with sweet things. So they probably gathered that honey, had it in a vessel of some sort. They may have added water to dilute it or rainwater you know, somehow gets in with it and yeah, yeah get a little wild, bit of water in wild, to make it fermentable. Yeah, wild well, yeast take over from there, and next thing you know, that that beverage makes you feel really good. All right, so <laughs> I think I could probably concede oldest fermented beverage a little bit more so than with beer, because there's one less variable from the germination right. yeah, process. You've already in, got sugar ready barley. to go. You could argue that that nectar in flowers is the oldest fermented beverage because. That happens naturally sometimes. You know how many flowers it takes to get you drunk? <laughs> well, did you know that bees actually seek out flowers with fermented nectar? And like crab so apples and things like that. And they do get drunk. Yes, Kate, because I read it on <laughs> Wikipedia two hours ago. <laughs> of course I know. I do my fucking research 45 minutes before I get on an interview. If you, go- if you Google drunk bee... Uh, videos. You see a of me. <laughs> Drunk <laughs> me videos. I hate to be the cameraman on those videos. Though, right. so, um, follow him around. <laughs> so uh, we know that there was there's mead being produced in ancient Egypt. We mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. and then I would assume as we sort of my, uh, mass migrated around Europe. It's something that probably became more isolated in northern Europe because of climatic. Yeah, you're going exactly where I was. I mean, yeah. I think when people think about mead, we very often hear about the Vikings and. We can't go one episode oh. without mentioning the Vikings. Hark, hark, Ed. Let me say a couple of things here. Okay. So apparently when you arrived in Valhalla, you got some meat. Sweet. And it That's allegedly turned you into, right, yeah, you know, you killed some shit and you get some recognition and you get a, a big horn of mead and mead allegedly would turn you into a poet scholar. Which just kind of makes me think that there's a drunk know-it-all after mm-hmm. that whole uh, byproduct. Um, you do have different traditions in the Anglo-Saxon uh, tradition. I didn't know that honeymoon came from mead consumption. Did you guys know that one? Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard about that. I don't know how much truth there is to that. but um, You're killing me, Brett. I'm trying to fucking <laughs> candle here, all right? He's trying to show off all his Wikipedia information. <laughs> Hell, who knows if this shit's true or not, but I got it off a couple of sites. It He's getting it written down. He's reading off his notepad right now. Get a moon's worth of mead after, after getting exactly. married. Yeah, yeah. What Makes is sense the to metric me. of a fucking moon? Like, I'm sure it's got to be close to the Indiana standard of shit tons. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, at least 30 days is? worth. 30 days worth. At yeah. Least, yeah. Uh, see, that man. actually. Yeah. See, it's man. like, look at the big brain on yeah. Brett. He's, <laughs> well, he is like a shit microbiologist. He's, had, he's had a lot of mead. He's a poet scholar. It's a, a, lot of, scholar. a lot of research has gone into this. So, I, I don't know. I could hang. Eh, maybe the honeymoon thing is made up. But I did read that honey and mead was mentioned in the... Um, the Vedic texts, so the earliest Sanskrit writings in uh, Hinduism culture. And, mm. yeah, sure, I would believe that. Oh, um, I've yeah. read some of the Vedic texts. I didn't read anything about honey, but I didn't get that far. There's a lot of them. Um, all right, I'm getting close to being exhausted by my... <laughs> by your Wikipedia <laughs> research. Thing. Although it did say, oh, there's a good one. 
and I don't know if I buy this one either. One, because it's talking about Odin, and <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but apparently Odin acquired his strength from drinking mead from a goat's nipple. I don't know how the, <laughs> How did that happen? I, I wish I could have had my camera out right there for Kate. Kate yeah, she was like, what? Hold, no, what? Uh, mm. You mean mead can come out of those things? <laughs> right, I'm like, I need one of those goats. Right. Yeah, where do I buy a one golden of those goat. goats? We use snifters in the tasting room, but... But do you have goat nipples? <laughs> uh, no, no, we're fresh out of goat nipples. Tell me that won't put you on the map, all right? If you guys start selling... Authentic. Yeah. Mead nipples... Uh, that's you know what though? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back to his shop because I think you guys really are on the map because precisely where we started this conversation was with the barrel aging. You're do, you were very you've been doing this for 12 years, which mm-hmm. way before you started seeing the resurgence of craft cider and meads. Um, and I see that we've got a bottle of uh, breakfast magpie on the table, which that's is one fine. of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. But you were prior to doing all of this, you actually have a background in the sciences. Like yes. you didn't just—you're not out there just trial and error. I mean, you do have a background in, in biology, right? Uh, yeah, so I have a background in, in food science, food chemistry. Um, worked professionally in the juice industry, doing product development and R and D. So, a lot of um, you know trial experience, uh, quality control at processing plants. So. That was, you know, kind of the background well, that led me to alcohol's this. Well, alcohol fermentation. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. remove all the romance, and mm-hmm. my family's been doing this for 10 generations mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, if you understand fermentation and, you know, you have, you know, a good palate, then you can you can make something. And this is this is really solid. Like, you know, guys, if you aren't familiar with this property and these, these – I mean, I'm, I'm on the first one, and the amount of reach it has, obviously – there's a honey element to it, but the red fruit shows. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the oxidative handling, uh, but it's not excessively oaky. Um, it definitely, you know, it rings my bell as this, you know, nectar or ambrosia sort of thing. And it's got a really slight, out of heat, nutty kind of element on the finish. Which yeah, you've is gotten cool. quite a following, um, not only in your tasting room, but your products across. How many states are you guys uh, available in at this uh, point? We distribute in Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio right now so. but specifically that breakfast magpie people lose their shit on the release of that yeah, every year it's particularly like a, uh this one that i brought today which is the bourbon barrel age version um we only distribute that in the tasting room one day a year on black friday um and it's usually gone in two to three hours it's so. beautiful when you are uh you you're not raising your own bees anymore at this point. No, I guess keeping, uh-huh. not raising, but they, the worker bees do the raising. Correct, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, where are you getting your honey from now? Where are you sourcing that from? So a little bit of history. When we first started out, we were keeping honeybees. Um, you know, as I grew up, I grew up on my family's farm. Um, there was a, a gentleman on a neighboring property, retired uh, Methodist minister who had about 20, 25 hives. And as I was growing up, I watched him do his thing, and it really intrigued me. So when we, we uh, moved back to Indiana, uh, my wife Tia and I uh, decided it would be kind of a, a good, good point to try our hand at beekeeping. So, you know, we got a couple of hives and just were obsessed with it. And within a year or two, we had, you know, between 10 or 15 hives, depending upon what survived through the winter, and I never really felt like I completely understood it. Um, and hearing Kate talk, it kind of brings me back to that. But um, we had a fair amount of honey, started making some trial batches, kind of using my professional background and in our interest in, in fermented beverages. And a way we to know that your wife is as well, uh, what, microbiologist? Uh, she's actually has a background in forestry and wildlife science. Okay, okay, so all right. Definitely science background, but a little bit different twist on I couldn't on, remember on exactly, science. yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, from back then when we just used uh, a couple hundred pounds of honey to today where we use about 48 to 50,000 pounds of honey a year, um, I think when we first started out making meat on a commercial level, we knew pretty quickly that we were going to outpace what we could grow on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just decided to let people like Kate be awesome beekeepers and uh, purchase their honey. Great. So instead of raising it. Could uh Kate, could you tell us just briefly like how it gets from flower 
mm-hmm. the honey. And then after that, if you wouldn't mind, Brett, picking up on production, just speaking to the production sure. of, of meat. I know I don't, I don't even know how like sugar content's measured in honey. Is it like balling or bricks or like yeah, same bricks. metrics they use for grapes? Mm. Use bricks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So interesting. And I should say, I actually don't harvest the honey from my bees for, uh, a, as a product to sell. I kind of, as much as I can, uh, move it around from hive to hive. So if I start a new hive, I'll take honey. Bees are not picky about where their honey comes from. I'll take honey from one they're of my other hives. They're just these mad little honey fiends. Yeah, they're just, just give me, me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that because my project is focused more on the education component, um, I decided pretty early on that I wasn't going to uh, harvest and sell the honey um, for commercial purposes. And because as I learn more about bees and, you know, all of the factors that are against them and their numbers are dwindling every year, I didn't want to contribute in any way to uh, their demise. And if you harvest as a beekeeper, if you're not careful, if you harvest too much honey from the bees, they won't make it through the wintertime. They'll get, they'll get discouraged. <laughs> they'll, they'll be sad. Right, yeah, you can only uh, hit a little bit, but that's yeah. so. But you're not taking any out uh, except switching between hives, right? It's, and because, and the reason I'm doing that is because uh, in the beginning, I actually tried to just leave it all and not touch it, mm-hmm. and let the bees just kind of do their own thing, thinking that they would know when to stop storing honey. But there is something that happens with honeybees where they are uh, their their surplus is so large that they actually just kind of stop working. It's and beekeepers refer to it as a hive being honey bound and so that can also contribute to the hive not surviving so you do have to strike a balance and when it becomes uh the hive is overwhelmed with honey to take some of that out and so i tried it as much as possible to store it until the spring when i can use it again or shift it around and sometimes i'll take a frame of honey into a classroom and do a honey tasting with Fresh out so of the consuming hive honey, honey mm-hmm. is actually a really helpful symbiotic relationship with them. Right, if you're doing that, it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. So I, like I, what Arthur was saying, I mean, w- that first step, I mean, they're flying mm-hmm. around, they're getting the nectar yep. from the flowers. So going from flower to flower, we've seen this, collecting the nectar, they store it. Uh, once they get it, they, you know, they suck it with their, um, with their Suckers. long, <laughs> per- <laughs> it's called a proboscis. Like a butterfly has Sounds one better. too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with their suckers, yeah. And so it's like a big long straw, and so they're storing that honey, or the, I'm sorry, the nectar in what's called their honey stomach. And um, when I explain this to kids, especially, they're like, well, "You're telling me that it's like bee vomit now that it comes back out of their stomach." So I try to phrase it as it's not a stomach the way that we have with a bunch of gurgly digestive juices although there are some it's enzymes more like a honey intestine it's more like a <laughs> it's like not a, throwing it up they're pooping it it's out like a back, sack, it's kind of like yeah. a backpack it's a honey so cavity. they put it in their honey backpack and they take it back to the hive and those worker bees that are foraging uh from flower to flower um they actually hand it off to another bee who, and it's her job to make the honey. And so she takes that honey uh. or the nectar and puts it into the honeycomb cells. And so those, the honeycomb that we are familiar with is made out of beeswax. Bees produce wax from their bodies. They push it out of their abdomens, kind of like those toys where you put the Play-Doh in and you crank it and the spaghetti comes out. It's kind of like that. They just push it out of these little gill they look like gills almost in their in the abdomen and so once once those cells are created they put a little bit of nectar in at a time and fan it with their wings and it uh, the water evaporates out of it eventually they cap it with some more wax and it is it stays there until beekeeper decides to unleash it yeah it's like canning for the winter time Um, but a byproduct of the the bees going from flower to flower is pollination so pollen it's kind of like cheeto dust looking stuff inside of a flower sticks to their back legs falls off into another flower of the same species and comes fertilized and that is why we depend on bees so much so they're actually doing this completely because they're looking for food sources but they do the service for us as a byproduct the pollen too right they do eat the pollen yeah Mm-hmm. And not to deviate from something actually very, very important, um, but back to the B movie. <laughs> I, if memory serves me, my memory sucks. I think he was wearing a fanny pack. 
somewhere. <laughs> I, I actually that do. Sounds... I think he did have some sort and of a backpack and right. something like that. Because I, are you guys seeing fanny packs come back into fashion? Mm-hmm. I've seen people I wearing wear one them sometimes for practical what? reasons. I wear one sometimes when I'm farming. I guess if you're like working, it's different. But if you're just hanging out and you got a Star Wars shirt on <laughs> and you're rocking out a rat tail, and I'm not making this up. I saw this. I was at the uh, Wellington in, in, in Broad Ripple. And I just kind of looked over and saw some dude at the bar. It was like, shh, shh. That was my head-moving wow. noise, uh, if you don't know what that is, listeners. <laughs> and the dude had the most unbelievably bad, horrific, glamorous-looking uh, rat tail, like, all the way down the back. Like, nice. crazy. That, that's a well-curated rat tail. Oh. I, I think I know who you're talking about, actually. Oh, great. I'm now sure you're talking your friends. I'm sure he's a nice enough fella. But... I looked at whoever. If you're a listener, we do appreciate it, sir. My, my drinking mate. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that dude's rocking out a rat tail. And I looked back, and he had on a fanny pack, too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that dude is rocking out a fanny pack and a rat tail. Um, so, anyways, you know. But Arthur digresses. Boo, bad B movie. Don't support. Like, you shouldn't be saying. Bees wear fanny packs. Again, we're persecuting the... the (laughs) Persecuting the bees. The bees. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but bees, uh, or honeybees in particular, they stay pretty local to the hive, right? Yeah, they'll go maybe three miles maximum. I mean, isn't that how we kind of get... Like clover honey or yeah. chestnut honey. It's or a little whatnot. obviously. It's hard to regulate bees too much, right, but if you're in the middle of lavender fields for six miles, any way you go, then you're pretty. You can be pretty sure that it's lavender. Because honey. honey is one of those things that when I travel abroad, I love to go out and get the local honey mm-hmm. um, because you, yeah, you've heard us talk about terroir a lot uh, on this, but you really get um, you get terroir out of those. Honeys, we're like they've been. same page. We're fucking synced. Yeah, today, are we synced? Are we synced up? That was and my next question. Yeah, too. because I mean, one of my yeah. f- favorite. Uh, if I'm in Italy, I always try to find a, a local honey uh, from uh, chestnut. Uh, chestnut mm-hmm. honey is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's just so earthy and woody, and and really, really beautiful, and, and harder to find in the United States unless you're yeah. a specialty shop. Um, I see that a lot. I follow a lot of beekeepers on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you see that a lot where they're talking about the specific. Uh, trees or plants that their bees are probably visiting and of course you don't have tracking devices on your bees you don't know for sure but beekeepers can tell because of the color of the pollen that's coming in what the beekeepers know is blooming at that time and bees do have preferences they like certain things over other things and they will visit um, let's say if you have a flowering tree think about how many blooms are on that tree a bee is going to visit that maybe before other places because bees are instinctually they will visit uh, the same flower in one area until they've exhausted that it specific makes sense type that of they flower. Would do that. Right, Whatever for the plants easiest, and for yeah. the bees. Mm-hmm. In fact, the people that run Hamden Estate down in Jamaica, I was talking with uh, Paul uh, down there when we did a distillery uh, tour with him last year, and he said initially uh, his plan was before his family took mm-hmm. over the distillery, which is the, uh, the Hussey family, that he bought a bunch of land uh, just outside of Kingston, and I don't even remember what his original... Oh, he was going to do um, um, cashew, uh, growing cashews and, and harvesting and all that. And that's what he's going to do. And he said he got into it and realized how much of a pain in the ass that was really going to be. So instead, he actually has hives in the middle of these cashew fields now. Um, and at Hamden Estate, you can actually buy their brand of cashew honey. Um, because they were too lazy to actually harvest the, hmm. the, the cashew nuts. And, and so now they just um, let the bees do their thing within the fields and all this property they bought instead of just letting it go to waste. Oh. Interesting. Is there um, like a definitive like Grand Cru honey, you know, like the, you know, considered to be the most badass honey in the <laughs> Manuka, world? Like, Manuka honey? I don't know a yeah. lot about it. I like, just know it's very, it, very the, expensive. The coffee where they had mongoose eat beans and crap it out and you oh they're bats 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 do that pay 160 bucks for a pound or something Mm -hmm. the one honey that i'm interested in trying is it is it in tibet where these bees pollinate a a hallucinogenic flower i can't wait to Mm. do this yes do continue (laughs) and i think that would make some really bitchin' mead too (laughs) i wonder what happens to the bees in the process like what are they seeing i don't know i'm not sure 
<laughs> that maybe is what makes it so we, delicious. We need, to, we need to research further. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that would be. Do you know some, what it's called? Uh, I can't recall. So what it's awesome. called. I think it's in Tibet. Um, Prana saturated honey, like all the monks hanging out, meditating well, and shit. One thing that's important to remember when you're hearing about these honeys is some plants do not require, do not have blooms that bees like to visit. So I saw recently that there was some guy selling cannabis honey, like, oh, my bees went and visited these marijuana plants and now this honey is special cannabis honey, but bees actually, I read further, they don't actually hmm, prefer don't to no. go there. No. Um, they don't want to visit those plants. I can't imagine there so. would be a lot of nectar. That no. They would be so they're kind of there. being forced into visiting the cannabis plants to make this special product, which I am, I kind of don't like. And defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. kind of rude. All right, so we got to keep our bees clean, people. We <laughs> killed a little bit of uh, time there, or while you guys were chatting, I, I pulled up. I was trying to find the name of this honey. There's actually a Vice article out there, which we will put up on our uh, Facebook page about uh, hunting for hallucinogenic honey in Nepal. <laughs> so Nepal, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed for this now. I'm like, we need to go all in on this, but. All right, so we get, we get off track, but so now we know where they get the honey mm-hmm. uh, and and how to get it. Well, I mean, I'm wondering what the sugar content of it actually is in comparison. If you're familiar, Brett, with you know mm-hmm. grape must or something mm-hmm. like that, and then if we can just pick up and talk about uh, production from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it, I think it varies from hive to hive. They'll cap it off differently. In the season too, probably. Could be. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, but. In our experience, the bricks of honey is about 80%. Uh, so it's pretty pretty sweet, not a lot of moisture content, which... This one next. Yeah, that's a hard cider there, but we'll, we'll try that one too. Um, By the way, it's also uh, the largest honeybee in the world that collects the oh, hallucinogenic. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's... Uh, I'm, I'm bad with Latin. Uh, Apis dorsata labiri- labiriosa. Hmm. Hmm. I've never... Never heard yeah. of that one. I haven't What's either. What's the European honeybee? Mellifera? Uh-huh. Apis mellifera. That's right. Um, so honey being about 80% sweetness, that would compare to grape must anywhere from, you know, 16 to 30 maybe at the most, um, depending upon what grape variety, how long it's been uh, left to hang on the vine, etc. Yeah, pretty much multiplying it times three and a half. Yeah, yeah. So for us, um, when we get honey, um, pitching yeast to ferment that directly onto the honey wouldn't work because all those characteristics of honey that we talked about, that Kate talked about earlier, um, basically prevent it from right, kind uh, of being from fermenting. Yeah. and antiseptic and all so, that. So basically, the way we uh, kind of unlock the sugar in the honey is add water to it. So we reduce that sweetness down to a level where a yeast can ferment it. So depending upon what alcohol content we want to end up at, uh, we actually then uh, add a certain amount of honey to get to that point. Typically 16 bricks to 30 bricks. Just Are like you grape, utilizing similar yeast strains to wine production? Because those guys aren't going to thrive in that kind of high alcohol concentration anyways. Yeah, we use uh, primarily wine yeast, but we use some beer yeast as well. Um, uh, there are some tricks to getting honey to ferment without any other fruits in, in there, but I guess that's where you know the scientist in me comes through. But essentially honey and water and yeast, and that's how you can make a, a very basic mead. Do you employ any other agents that are used, you know, in other fermented alcoholic beverages, you know, addition of sulfur for antibacterial and preservatives or, you know, acid to, to adjust pH? Yeah, we don't, we don't use any acids, but we do use sulfites uh, similar to, to um, grape winemaking. Um, we're not brewing it like a beer. We don't use any heat like a brewery would, would uh, use to make, make beer. So in the beginning of the process, to kind of eliminate some of the wild yeast that might be present, we'll add a little bit of uh, sulfites um, prior to pitching our commercial strain of yeast. Do you have any concerns over adverse like coloration the same way they do in, in wine production? They'll employ sulfur? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, here again, there, there are tricks uh, to making sure none of that comes through in fermentation, but um, it, can, it can certainly happen. Yeah, right. definitely. <clears throat> so you fill, uh, ferment filter um and in the case of some of them age them yeah you know for for us um, most of what we make we can make 
pretty quickly uh, as long as it's not a barrel aged variety. So from start to finish, um, you know, two to three weeks, we can we can take raw honey and turn that into something fermented pretty quickly. Do you macerate the other fruits in the honey, or are you fermenting other fruits and then kind of assembling everything? For us, we ferment everything all together. So say, for example, the uh, strawberry rhubarb mead you tried uh, earlier, uh, we would basically uh, grind up strawberries and rhubarb, mix it in with honey and water, and ferment it all together. Then we'll press the fruit similarly to how you would press red grapes in a, in a red grape wine. And then that finished sounds, up from there. Sounds very messy. I mean, aren't those fruits really high in pectins and other phenolic compounds? Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, if you don't like to be uh, sticky and wet, it's not a good job to be. <laughs> <laughs> not a good job to be be Neither a part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there have been a number of times where I've worked harvest and I'm out, you know, crushing fruit, and you know, you you flip over, you know, a half ton thing of grapes, and it just. Bees are all, all over the place. place. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. covered with goo, and it's like, all right, good times. Yeah, that's pretty much me every day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> covered in goo. Good yeah, man. that's why he has that amazing uh, product in his hair. That's not actually product in his hair. That's that's it's honey, goo. right? Yeah, yeah it's honey. Um, so, like, it's something about Mary thing. Just like style your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a girl that looked just like her and did that for Halloween one year. Fucking hilarious! <laughs> just like Cameron Diaz and did that hair thing, it was awesome. Um, we have I another. Think we need, yeah, I was gonna say, I think we need beverage. to get into that the. Next the uh, I, I want to hit the magpie. Can we hit the magpie? Yeah, we can do that too. I guess the the cider's probably a little bit lighter, isn't it? Uh, it's actually pretty rich. Is it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, all right. Let's do the magpie. Let's do the magpie. Yeah. Jumping ahead. And again, over here. as always, these uh, pictures of these bottles will be up on our uh, Instagram feed, Shift Drink Podcast. This is one of my favorite products. This, oh, man, if you can get it in your market, well, not this particular one because this is only sold, you know, the one day a year. It's worth coming into Indianapolis for Black Friday to get it. But you do a non-bourbon barrel aged one, correct? Yes. So and that one you can get out and about. Yeah, it's it's available pretty much through the winter months. Uh, we're just about ready to wrap up the season for it. Hello. Yeah, right. But this variety is Imperial Breakfast Magpie. It's uh, a black raspberry mead. Uh, 13.5% ABV. Um, we infuse it with espresso beans from B Coffee Roasters here in town. Uh, no pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, age it in uh, uh, pr- this variety, particularly Angel's Envy bourbon barrels, um, for about 14 months. So good. Yeah, no, I mean... It, uh, we fly through this when we have it at our restaurants. I mean, as soon as we put it up on draft, it's gone. Yeah, no, that's a very infiltrating nose. And the, the concentration and focus of fruit is wonderful. You do get that additional ABV. Uh, like, I don't know if our listeners know or anyone here has ever played around with gauging alcohol vapor by keeping your eyes open uh, when you stick your nose <laughs> in a glass. Right. But if you put your nose into a glass of wine or a beverage and you keep your eyes open, if you feel vapor kind of tingling your eyeballs, you're probably at about 14% ABV, and it's moving that direction with this. There's also it's almost a, like an oxidized a, quality a, in I'm the middle. I'm assuming that's coming from the, the oak regimen and the barrel right. bourbon, but there's, um, there's a little funky herbal kind of thing going on there. There's like... Getting like little, cilantro little, and sage, a little bit of doobie in that. <laughs> I mean, the coffee is definitely there. But I don't know about that. I mean, like, there's a foxy, peppery. I mean, I visit. Moving into sk- <laughs> and I know you know your skunk. Like, well, per- perhaps, perhaps I'm just immune to it at this point. Right. I think your <laughs> threshold is just been burning. totally compromised at this <laughs> can point. We, can we set this on fire real quick and just <laughs> see? So we were talking about uh, the different types of, oh, of wait, honey. Hold on, there it is. You actually, you're right. You just, I, I'm not making this shit up, man. I tilted the glass and I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> hold on. Now, I don't know if I could call out a strain. Like, I'm not gonna be like, ah, oh, this. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of OG Kush on this. <laughs> <laughs> Nod your head so, at me, man. You were you're about to talk about different types of honey. I assume that was a segue into different types of, of mead itself. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just like in grape wines, you can have that that regional difference uh, with the same grape uh, based on you know where that grape was grown, the climate, the soils, um, how the winemaker handles it. Really, the same can be said about about mead too um if we pick up honey from uh you know 
the West Coast, um, the flowers that, that those bees have, have visited, um, the honey from those, those bees is going to taste very different than something in central Indiana. So you can have that same difference, even though the formula of the mead is exactly the same, you can have a very different product based on where that honey came from. So that terroir you talk about can, can do the same thing in mead. Now, obviously, when you start adding fruit to it and barrel aging it and doing different things like that, the, the subtleties, the yeah, the subtleties of the honey may not come through quite as much, but the smokiness and things like that yeah. we see frequently in just straight straight meads. No, the the fruit profile is obviously different, but this is volatilizing is showing something pretty reminiscent of like Carmenere, right? yeah, South American Carmenere, Cypress hibiscus, and it's kind of it's moving down a pathway to tomato leaf, and that to me is a much more um, extreme herbal representation. It, it, it's it's done in a beautiful way. I'm not being critical. I'm just rattling off on my. No, I'm like I love I'm loving awesome. the looks around the table. I mean, because you're you're you just have so many years of giving tasting notes of uh, through your psalm training and all that that everyone's always fascinated by. Like, oh yeah, oh okay, hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Do you guys get that? You get the herbal green thing going on. Definitely. Okay. I wonder what we're we all have our nose in the glass. <laughs> well, yeah. I just I really wonder what makes the for great of that makes for great audio. <laughs> yeah. Everybody sniff real loud. <laughs> ah, we're gonna yeah. come out with a <laughs> sni- uh, scratch and sniff version of Shift Dream. Smell a vision. Oh. S- smell a vision. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm only, we, he brought three, which he's generously sharing with us. We're only on number two. Um, he brought four? Three. No, 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 yeah, three. Three, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, where, can, where can people find these? You said Indiana, Kentucky, Illinois? Uh, Ohio. 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 Yeah, so probably the easiest place to find them, um, if you're in Indianapolis area, would be at our tasting room. Um, it's in the heart of Fountain Square. Um, literally, you're right on yeah, the corner, right on the square, right which the is fountain. also a uh, triangle, not a square. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so that's a place where you can hang out, do a sample flight, taste through the varieties. You can have a glass. Um, uh, due to Indiana's fun laws, we can't actually serve spirits in that location. So um, we make cocktails, but using uh, simple syrups that we make in-house. 20% or below. Yeah, right. yeah, that's cool. Low um, ABV anyway, yeah. so that's definitely a trend that's you know um, out there and coming into its yeah. own a little bit more. Yeah, so we Where have can some fun people with that. find you guys on uh, social media? Uh, everything's at at New Day Craft. So um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the all the usual suspects. New Day Craft. There, yeah, New Day Craft. Yeah, and and let me just throw this out here. I mean, Brett and T are some of the are two of the most respected people in Indianapolis's food and beverage community. Um, they're just the nicest people ever. Um, not trying to make you feel oh, awkward or anything, hug. but there's a there's nobody. I've never heard anybody talk shit about you ever. Like you just haven't talked to enough people yet. Have <laughs> well, I haven't talked to your employees. <laughs> past employees, maybe. I mean, Kate works a lot behind the scenes. She's she's ever present. I feel like every time I go to any farmers market or anything or any food event, Kate's there. there. But she's very often working back behind the scenes. But do you do you have like uh, your what, is your company B Public? Is yeah, B Public, uh, B Public dot com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and. Um, Where can people find you there? So, <laughs> I'm not like as lucky as you of, that all of yours are the same. But B B Public Indie on Instagram. She said lucky. I thought she said it's not. I'm not as slutty as you. <laughs> on, well, I'm like it's probably wow. also true. Not as slutty as Brett. That's one way to put being proficient in social media. <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't look out in that department. But um, <laughs> Instagram is Be Public Indie, and I I try to post a lot of my beekeeping uh, when I inspect a hive. So like the up close and personal. If you've never seen the inside of a hive, you you can follow along there with videos and and images. And then I'm on Facebook, uh, Be Public, and you can go to bepublic.com to find blog posts and events and things like that as well. You keep educational materials on your website as well? Yeah, I've got resources. My email address is on there if you have a question. A lot of times people email me because they... Oh, a lot more getting ready to. They think (laughs) they have a a honeybee swarm, and a lot of times I'll find swarms that way. But a lot of times there are native pollinators in their backyard that they have questions about or they want to ask about relocating them or or other things and i 
always request that people send me a photo or a video if they can because it's a lot easier for me to diagnose what kind of pollinator we're talking about if I have an image because they do look very similar. Um, I go to schools and do talks, um, teach beekeeping classes. So very cool. that's, that's what I'm doing a lot of times out, out in the community. And then, of course, I've got beehives, one at Eskenazi Hospital, one in Broad Ripple across from Public Greens. There's one in the cottage home community space. And I'm helping out uh, managing the hives at the IMA this season as oh, that well. Indianapolis Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. they got a lot of property out there. It's a beautiful museum. If you're ever in Indianapolis or mm-hmm. live here, definitely make sure you hit it up. Absolutely. Oh, I guess that just leaves us down to one last question. Well, And I'm really two, looking forward to the answers of these. Two last questions. Oh, one, can you please pass that last bottle around? Oh, right. <laughs> We've got a cider. Is it this one? So is anybody an apple keeper? <laughs> no, but I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where John Chapman is buried. Oh, and without bees, no apples, That's right? That's right. No apples. That's right. Um, I don't know if they call people that do apples apple keepers. No, I don't think they do. I don't. Okay, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing something. Perhaps we can uh, adjust their nomenclature. You mind passing me that yeah. uh, bottle, um, Miss Kate? Still working on my last one. Yeah, no, these they're they're really really delicious, and you know mm-hmm. that'll tell you I don't typically oh, candy coat shit. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't need to tell anybody shit, man. We're this is what 20, <laughs> 20 episodes in, twenty one episodes Good point. in. Yeah, if I haven't offended you yet, <laughs> it's Stay because tuned. it's because Ed edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, we always try and wrap up the show with talking about. Um, preferred hangover cures (laughs) (laughs) and don't cop out and just say abstinence you know like we ain't trying to we know that that. we know that's a great cure that's an easy one i'm still looking for one i don't think i've ever come across (laughs) one episode we've got tons now i don't even know which ones to go for pretty crazy ones uh, people have shared with us um all right, she's still on the lookout. Brett, can you so, send so, her a lifeline? So last weekend, Friday evening, uh, I had a little bit too much to drink, which happened. It happens sometimes. But Saturday morning, cold shower for as long as I could stand it. <laughs> oh, my God. Hangover, gone. It Hangover, does sound gone. terrible. So, did Hangover, you, gone. How did long? Did you, like, do the boys don't cry, curl up in a ball thing, or you just stood there and just took it? Just did it. Yeah, took how, it. How long yeah. could you handle it? I could, you know... I could. It was probably five minutes. Five I feel minutes. like you would. You could get adjusted to that. Yeah, yeah. I think mm. over time. I mean, there's military men out there that get adjusted to that. Yeah. You know. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they're just like, "Fuck this." this so sucks now it's every a, day. It's a short study. It's it's a one one <laughs> sample <laughs> size right. here, but uh, may have to try it again. So prior to that, what, what was your technique? Just dealing with it. Uh, this last you know, weekend, you were like, "I'm going to try like, a cold shower." These last me, twenty years of hangovers have sucked. It's like toast. <laughs> Toast and butter, and then a nap after that. You know, Toast and butter. Mm-hmm. Sleep is always a good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more See, sleep. I, I don't know. The, the older I get, the harder I have time. The harder time I have actually uh, sleeping when I'm hungover. I end up waking oh, up earlier yeah. and just mm-hmm. suffering through it a lot yeah. more than I really need to. That's why we're always curious about what everyone's regimen is because if it works. Uh, I don't know if I could do the cold shower thing. No. Oh, I always man. try to can do sweat, it. but I don't know if it's effective. Uh, you know, I think it is. We've had, that's what, five, six times that's been mentioned as a cure, as yeah. a workout or Hot good exercise. Yoga. But it is one of the worst things like mm. to do to your terrible. head. It feels terrible. Yeah, it's miserable, but it does speed Works it the out. metabolization Works it out. of it and just kind of sweating it out. And I th- just feel like, you know, you feel pretty good. When I used you're done to with do the more of anyway. the hot yoga thing, but you're not doing it anymore? No, I mean, I still practice hot yoga probably seven days a week, but, like, if I was hungover, I would oh. do the hot yoga thing. And now I just feel too bad for everybody else around me. They can smell <laughs> the pinotage? <laughs> yeah, the South, yeah. South African pinotage. Whiskey? Coming that out of his pores. It's forever going to be my <laughs> reference. That? And I don't like being judged. Like, don't judge me. I stink of alcohol. The hot ass and rubber pinotage. That's what you smell when he's uh, detoxing. <laughs> I don't drink pinotage, man. Doesn't I think happen. everybody else is doing the exact same thing, though, so you don't really know who's the stinky one. I think they're they all in the same boat. I think they know Kate <laughs> and my friends in the community would 
Concur. Oh, you know. I'm I'm a terrible person in a yoga class. I I I'm the one out there just trying to like be able to touch my toes. You gotta start somewhere, brother. Yeah, I did, and then I got out of it. But yeah. uh, hopefully, I will be in need of a hangover cure tomorrow. So because I'm going to continue drinking the rest of these bottles that Brett was so kind to to bring in. Again, for us, you can always find us at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. If you are an iTunes subscriber, we have uh, additional material up on our website that has our... We have some blog posts, uh, a couple of their photos, and you can always go back through our archives going back all the way to the beginning. Uh, and uh, you can find us on Twitter at shiftdrink... I'm sorry, shift underscore drink. Uh, but we we don't tweet a lot. We most of the articles that we repost, which I actually uh, did just put up the uh, hallucinogenic bees on our uh, <laughs> on our Facebook page. So if you don't see it up top, just scroll down a little bit. It is up there, the Tibetan hallucinogenic honey. Um, but yeah, you can find us at Shift Drink Podcast everywhere. Um, and subscribe, iTunes, Google, fucking whatever else is out there. There's everything, you know. This is this. great, man. This, this is a great idea. Um, thank you, Kate, for everything you do for the community. Absolutely. Fighting for bees' rights. Yep. Gotta do it. Um, Brett, thank you for, for bringing these beverages and again being a, you know an independent business owner and pushing the needle on quality and, and high end products and people do try and find these um, these beverages they are they're done well they're strong. Yep, there's cool. a reason you have a cult following. So awesome. uh, thank you so much, Kate, Brett, and uh, you know let's uh, continue on and have a few more beverages. Cheers. And until next time, folks. Cheers. Cheers.